Hello everyone and welcome back to CEO Journals. For those of you that are new here, I am your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off by saying thank you all for joining me on today's episode. Let me introduce you to this week's guest on the show, Jedediah Collins. Many kids on the playground today have the dream of going pro in sports and getting to test their skills against the best in the world. Some are lucky enough to play at college level, but how many take that next leap to be pro? Of the 380,000 student athletes in America, 99% will actually become a professional in something other than their sport. This led Jed to his first question, how was he going to become a 1%? This led him to observing and absorbing from everyone around him who he felt that he could learn from. It left him wondering why people had not been introduced to this toolbox of success and drove him to create what he calls Rookie to Veteran. Once Jeb began achieving the dream of playing in the NFL, he came across another number. Only a few get to achieve the dream of walking into a professional locker room, but how many were walking out of that same locker room having captured that dream? Over 70% of professional athletes fall on financial hardships soon after they're done playing. That is a staggering number when you think about the paychecks they earn. This led Jed to his second question. How was he going to become a 30%? Believe it or not, life decisions come quick after being handed a sizable check as a 22 year old. And it is these decisions that led Jed to realize he was totally unprepared for. He went to highly educated people like his brothers to ask what to do, only to realize that this was not a him problem. It was an everyone problem. So he dove headfirst into the world of money. He understood the toll that his body and mind were going to take in achieving the dream and did not want to miss the opportunity to capture that dream. Jed's observations are what led him to becoming a 1% and then a 30%. Translating these observations of watching how the best in the locker room and the boardroom operate is his life's passion. I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. Jed is incredibly motivating and extremely knowledgeable when it comes to personal finance. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CEO Journals. I've got an awesome episode in line for you guys today because I have Jedediah Collins on the show. Jed, how are you doing today? You know, we... uh... We are doing as well as we can be, and I keep trying to look at each day during this this event with that lens. And if if today's a win, it's a good day. So I'm focusing on finding that win each day. So appreciate the platform and excited for this conversation, Ethan. It's my pleasure to have you on the show, and I can't thank you enough for joining me. So the way I like to start all my episodes is just if you could just give a quick sixty second introduction of who you are and what you do for the listeners that don't know. Absolutely. So most people have defined me as a football player. So American football, I got to go and experience the NFL journey for seven seasons. Now, am I one of the names you're going to see in in the newspaper or, or kind of one of the famous players? Absolutely not. But I did become the best in my position and I did achieve success beyond what an undrafted player should have achieved. Um, but what I realized during this journey is the NFL dream is broken. And that's really where my passion and my world is headed today is in the idea that we need to be able to look at the game for what it's given us and not what it's taken. And that's what my business is built upon. My business is called Rookie to Veteran. And it's because 
it is much more around behavior and mindset than it is just about money and finances. The idea of rookie to veteran is having that growth strategy, having that mindset and that plan to continue improving and finding success. Where my passion is, is in financial empowerment. And we're going to talk today why I think empowerment is more important than just education. Um, But my book, Your Money Vehicle, was something I began writing as a rookie in the NFL when I was asking myself questions. And I continued to adapt uh, and write and create it as I left the game and went into the corporate world and started to get traditional paychecks. Um, The book is built around the first 10 questions you should ask and answer, and then the first 10 actions you should go and take on your personal financial journey. Awesome. I cannot wait to dive into some of this, but I guess the I guess the best place to start would be your NFL journey. So mm-hmm. let's start there. Was getting to the NFL your dream as a child? Did you always have that in mind from a young age? Honestly, no. Uh, my family was basketball. Uh, so we grew up, my dad played college and was actually drafted in the NBA in basketball. Um, both my brothers went to play Division One basketball, and I was kind of the oddity that I went and played, started playing football. Now, both my brothers are about 6'5", 200 pounds, and I was 6'1", 250. So, you know, there's, there's definitely some nature involved in my decision-making process um, and a good coach or two sitting me down and being like, where do you think you're going for basketball? Um, and the NFL dream really didn't start to take – picture until my senior year in college and I remember very vividly a scout from the San Diego Chargers riding up an elevator with me and he asked me he said hey do you know where our head coach's office was I said absolutely I can walk you there and then he leaned in shook my hand he said Jed I'm actually here to to talk about you and it blew me away I was like wait what I was I was studying for my GMAT I was preparing to go to get my master's in accounting and trying to you know figure out how to go into a business world, and then that's when the the NFL dream started to really take hold. That this was something that I could possibly keep doing. It it wasn't that I didn't want it to happen. I just I'm a little bit of a realist, and I never saw myself being able to compete at that level. Um, and from that day forward, I I put it in my head that I was going to do it. And, you know, even though I, I was cut a dozen times, I, I didn't stop until I achieved that dream. I bet the other players in your college hated you in the fact that it was, <laughs> never, it was never actually your goal originally to go to the NFL. And it was probably many of theirs, but yes. you were naturally gifted at it that you got that opportunity. You know, and I look at that as a lot of different from a lot of different facets and you're absolutely right some guys show up on campus and say I am here for one thing and that is to get to the next step my family was very adamant about being student athletes and that student came first Um, and so again it's not that I didn't want to go to the NFL I was just realistic I played at Washington State University which is a phenomenal place to go to college but we were not a top tier program I didn't start until my senior year and you know then I did go on to have some accolades but I was not a top tier talent and so I wasn't blinded by my hopes I was more interested in creating a plan that would actually come to fruition um but yeah I had a lot of uh long night conversations with 
fellow teammates around the odds of making it into one of those rooms. And what woke me up during my NFL journey was the odds of making it out of one of those rooms with the dream still intact. Yeah, for sure. So you said that it all changed the day that scout came to mm-hmm. watch you play. How serious was your shift in mindset after that day? Because there's one thing like having the possibility of making it and actually making it. Like You must have had to put a serious amount of work after that day in to actually make that dream then come possible. So the shift was not so much in my work ethic. I've always been a worker. It wasn't in my focus. I was always, you know, dialed in uh, to play the college game. The shift became, well, how would I fit into the NFL game? I was uh, a six foot one tight end, which if you look at tight ends in the NFL, they're six five, six six. They look like, you know, Jimmy Graham um, and they're athletes. They're fast. A lot of lists of characteristics that was not me. So where my dream shifted was, okay, well, where and who was I going to be at that next level? And how did I fit into that style and that game? And that was the adaptation in the beginning of my transition from tight end linebacker, a traditional position to the fullback position, which is, uh, you know, some would call it a dinosaur, a dying breed, but it's really a true change in mindset and humility in the ability to put the team and the person behind you's interests before your own. Um, so that's where my shift started to focus was, hey, I want to have a great senior year. I want to get eyeballs, but I also want to show skill sets and ways I will fit into an NFL system and get on the field that way. Um, but it all began with so this is part of, you know, my rookie to veteran programming is the, the first step is be a pro. And I look at confidence, I look at trust, and I look at value. And when I wanted to go and make an NFL team, that scout gave me confidence. He put that thought in my head, and I needed to be able to believe it before anybody else was going to and before it was going to become real. After he said those words, it became very real to me, and I believed it. The trust factor is, Were people going to be able to trust my work ethic, trust my consistency, how I showed up on and off the field? And then the most important part about being a pro is adding value. I looked at where I could add value in every facet of a locker room, every facet of a building, every relationship I had. um, And I really started to measure it. Do I have what uh, Stephen Covey in, in Speed of Trust defined as a trust tax or a trust dividend? Is this relationship stronger because of our trust tree or is it weaker because of our trust tree um and that's how i really started to define each and every day sure i i admire like you guys as professional like sports players and things like that because i've had the opportunity to speak to a couple of guys now including Mm -hmm. yourself a professional football player spoken to an olympic gold medalist and you are the best in the world essentially at what you do and not many people can say that so for someone that is a huge sports fan, I get incredibly excited when I get to talk to people like you because I can take a lot from it. Because I, I love sport. From a young age, yeah. I've, I've played every single sport. But I, never, I never stuck to some things. So I could never get to that level of actually pursuing it. But I've always just had this fascination in sport and sports players and how they achieve what they do. So now the fact that I actually get to talk to these people is pretty cool. Well, I, I love that. And you're right. That, that intention and that focus... 
uh, of today is is almost necessary in in achieving that success because the com- competitive spirit is so far beyond even you know 15 20 years when I was growing up uh, athletes today are just far far beyond what we were that being said the one thing they don't deal with as well today as we did when I was younger and probably older than me is failure and it kind of brings up what what and I and I completely appreciate and I'm a fan of it too and I you know I love what you said but truly why guys and gals fail in their transition is because we were told you're the best in the world at this one thing don't worry about anything else just go do this one thing great and everything takes care of itself and whether that's at the end of high school that's the end of university that's the end of your professional career that that message ends up not being true. And that's where a lot of people start to hit a struggling time is when they don't think they can go be the best at anything else. And, you know, that's just simply not true. You have so many skills to translate. You just got to find the ways and the, the mediums to translate them. For sure. I'd love to talk a little bit about then how about you getting actually getting cut 12 times because <laughs> that that is what you would probably perceive as a failure. I asked you before we jumped on this call, what would you mm-hmm. consider your biggest failures in your journey so far? And you noted that down as one. But mm-hmm. for someone who's incredibly into personal development, hence why I do this podcast, get to talk to a lot of people, I'd almost see that as quite a good thing. Like you, rather than just learning from one team, one set of individuals, mm-hmm. you got to, I know you do your thing, rookie to veteran as well. Mm-hmm. You got to talk to a whole range of different veterans throughout different teams, rather than just being exposed to that single set of people in one team. So tell us a little bit, bit about that journey and how you actually view that. So that is, that's not a natural perspective or mindset for me. That is something that I truly had to develop and why I'm so passionate about people and your thoughts and your mindset is because I know for a fact it can change. And yes, I got cut 12 times. Yes, I consider myself a great failure. But what I learned is I don't see failure as a negative. I see failure as a huge, huge positive. Failure is feedback. Failure is the beginning, not the end. Um, You know, growing up playing basketball with my brothers, we had a game called King for a Day where we play one-on-one-on-one. There was three of us. And the winner would get to boss the other two brothers around. He was king for the day. You know, go take out the trash, go get my dinner, little stuff like that. And we played hundreds, a thousand times in our backyard. And I remember very vividly the two days I won. And I had to go out there each and every day, hundreds of times, knowing I wasn't going to win. But I got to adopt a new mindset. And I got to learn how to lose without being defeated, how failure is is not final and that is what you know being cut a dozen times having your dream ripped out of your stomach and told it was over it really teaches you where is your perspective what is your mindset like can you turn lemons into lemonade and that is truly what i've done and and i'm glad you pointed that out why i get to stand in front of people and say listen these are principles and behaviors of the best in the world. These are not my principles and behaviors. This was, I got to walk into a locker room in Cleveland, Ohio. I also got to walk into a locker room in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I did that repeatedly. And each one I left, I stopped, really started to digest and dwell on 
the, 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 the program I was a part of, but mostly the guys who were in there achieving what I wanted. Um, and so I look at my journey as never being the one I would have drawn up or never being the one that anybody hopes for. Even when I deliver to NFL players, I start with, how many times do you think I got cut? And nobody has ever guessed above 10. So my journey was unique, but truly it, it, it added so much to who I am today. It strengthened me and it allowed me to become an entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to realize failure is just part of the process. Yeah. And I love that you're an almost an advocate for failure because it's something I bring up in this podcast every single episode for that exact reason. I feel as if, especially with social media nowadays and entrepreneurship, we're it's almost being glamorized in the sense that all we see are the successes. We see the people at their mm-hmm. final destination going on these fancy holidays. They've built this huge successful business and we've only found them on these platforms because they're successful. We haven't got to see the endless amount of failures they've gone through <laughs> to get to that point. So this is why I do this podcast and I talk to these individuals about their failures because they've happened and we all know they've happened, but people never really talk about them. So I love to bring people on like mm-hmm. yourself to talk about their failures because it, it brings that sense of reality to the journey in a, in a sense. So honestly, thank you for bringing up failures. It's brilliant. It's no. the main part, the main reason I do this podcast. Yeah. Fail more. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a kid then going, cause you are essentially, you're a young adult. You, mm-hmm. you, get, you get your first paycheck as, a, as an American football player. It's far beyond many can imagine. There's, more zero, there's, an, there's an extra zero on the end of the paycheck, for example. <laughs> what was your reaction, initial reaction as a kid getting that much money? So that is where my awakening started. Um, so my first paycheck came at, in an extended stay in Cleveland, Ohio, And it was an envelope and I knew I had spent every dime of that envelope before I even opened it. And now full disclosure, I I ended up buying an engagement ring and my wife and I are happily married after 10 years. So sure, it ended up being a good investment, but I will tell her to this day, it was a very poor financial decision to spend my entirety of my first paycheck. And then I woke up about two days after we had bought it and I was in knots and sweats and just anxiety because I knew the physical toll the game was going to put on me and take from me. And I realized my relationship with money, to no discredit of my own to some degree, but my relationship with money is I was a spender. Hey, I got a paycheck. I spent a paycheck. How many of us have that relationship with money? Most. And then I read a book, you know, and I started to realize I needed to save and put money aside and so I started to see money in a year, maybe two year time frame, and I became a saver. So I went from a spender to a saver and I started to say, hey, I want to you know, buy a house or I want to go on vacation or I want to get a car. And I started to save up. Now, it wasn't until my, my relationship with money and my awakening happened where I realized the wealthy, they don't just go to work for money. They put their money to work for them and they become investors. And so the trajectory is, We're all born as spendors. Some of us are educated into being a saver, but we need to empower ourselves to become investors. And that was what I realized with that first paycheck was I was never going to achieve the true dream of the NFL if I didn't change my relationship with money. Because as I left the game, I wanted to have 
the memories of the great journey, sure. But I also wanted to have some money to show for my bumps and bruises that I know were going to happen. And that was when I started to educate myself. I would go and go into bookstores and sit and read personal finance books until a mentor finally said, listen, if you're serious about learning this language, this foreign language that very few get taught, you should get the, in America, it's called Certification of Financial Planning, CFP. And so each offseason, while I was bouncing around and traveling through the NFL, I was studying for my CFP, and I was starting to speak this language. And it began this idea that as I learned more, people started to ask me more and more questions. And that's when the light bulb really started to go off that this is not a big, dumb, jock, hey, stupid athlete problem. This is an everybody problem. And it is something that you know, my brothers who are extremely well-educated, engineer from Berkeley Masters and a Harvard Law degree, they ask me about money. And that shows you that it's not, you know, 22-year-old football players' fault. It is their problem. So how do we address it? Well, we have to approach the relationship, the education, and then the activities behind what money means to us. Hmm. Some some listeners might be a, a little bit confused in the fact that they're probably thinking right now, right, this guy's played American football for seven seasons. Mm-hmm. How on earth did he not earn enough money to last him a lifetime? A so can you can you just like shed some light in the fact that not everyone is a Tom Brady and can mm-hmm. live off their football paycheck for the rest of their lives? So I would argue that there is on each team of 53 guys – There is one Tom Brady, one guy who is going to be able to live the rest of his life off of what they made in their football careers for a lot of extenuating circumstances. Something that we just had the NFL draft not too long ago. One of the mistakes everybody makes is these headlines. You know, so-and-so, Joe Bob, first-round draft pick just signed a $20 million deal. No, he didn't. First and foremost, Joe Bob signed a $10 million deal because half of that's already going to taxes. And it's not that 10 million is not a ton of money, but if you spend on 20, you're not Mm. only broke, you're in debt. So that's the first realization is I actually walk young athletes through, okay, a million dollars. You take home, let's call it 600, more than likely it's closer to 500,000. You take home 600,000. Then you got to pay 30,000 plus to your agent. You got to pay another couple thousand to your attorney, to your accountant, to your advisor. Then you got to take care of your body. Then you got to take care of, you know, your supplements. Then you got to, and you start to walk through just these daily interactions. And it ends up being, sure, you saved, let's call it $100,000, which is a tremendous savings for one year at 22 years old. But the reality is the average career only lasts three years. And each year you're in is supposed to be a decade's worth of finances. And so when you look at it and say, hey, my first job out, I made 60000 These pro athletes made 600000 That's 10 times. Well, in a lot of ways, they are not taking all of that home. And they are needing to handle that at 22 years old as if those four years were going to prepare for the next 40. And a lot of people don't have that end in mind. They definitely don't have that plan in place. And It is sad, but one of the shocking realizations is the majority. You can argue over the statistics. There's some that say 72, some say 78%. 
let's just call it over 70% of professional athletes are on financial hardships, not shortly after they retire. One, their income goes totally from a million dollars a year to zero. Two, they haven't prepared and planned accordingly. Three, their identity is lost and they're trying to find ways to feel the game. Often that sticks with spending. If everything else from the game is gone, the one thing you can do is keep spending like you're still playing and getting attention that way. And fourth, and probably foremost, you don't feel prepared to go and do anything else. And so you shut her up and your ego gets in the way and you never go get that other income. And so the reality of the NFL dream of, oh, hey, these guys and gals who get to go play professional sports are then going to go and be famous and retire wealthy is very, very far from the truth. There are a few fortunate, level-headed, and forward-thinking people who do capture it. But myself included, I was never going to be a kick your heels up kind of guy. I looked at what I could take from the game and I began to make those my goals, my focus. And Mm -hmm. that's what more and more athletes need to do. But that's also what more and more students, young professionals need to do is realize it doesn't matter if it's $10,000, $100,000 or $10 million. If you don't have a plan in place, you're going to end up in the same spot. Yeah, because I suppose essentially at the end of those average three years, you're considered Mm -hmm. retired, whereas your average worker, someone goes to work, they work until they're 65 Mm -hmm. before they retire. So you're comparing a retirement age of 26 to 65. Like that's a a hell of a lot of years in between that to make up the difference for the average worker. I would even argue that we need to get rid of this idea of retirement in in its entirety and the age of 65. One, we're living much, much longer lives. I heard a a science study that said there's a child born today that may see 200. I don't know if I want to see 200, but that's an incredible, credible thought. And that's a lot more money. And as in America, we have shifted almost completely off of the, the, government and corporate systems of social security and pensions. That is when we looked at 65 as our quote unquote retirement, we had two streams of income, one from the government, one from the company we just spent 30 or 40 years at. Those systems are no longer dependable. We need to get rid of retirement and start to look at financial freedom. And freedom means you are in control and you decide. But that, again, comes back to this idea that you have captured the opportunity of those paychecks. So when your football career did come to an end, were you ready? Were, was that transition out of football into your what you do now an easy transition? Or was it still a slap in the face? It was absolutely a slap in the face. And I was amongst players. I was in the, the very, very ready ones. My position as a fullback was violent and it was painful. Um, I moved people forcibly for a living against their will. And these were not little people. These were big, angry men. Um, But I remember very vividly, I actually wrote an article about it. Uh, A player in one of the games got knocked unconscious. And for about 25 minutes, the game was delayed that he was getting strapped to, you know, a board and ambulanced off. And I walked to the sidelines and this was my last season. I looked up about 15 rows and I saw my daughter, uh, big pink headphones. She was about four or five months old and something broke in me. No longer I was invincible. No longer I was, you know, just this unbreakable person. 
um, I started to plan my exit route. And so it is really hard to walk away from the game. It's really hard to walk away from those paychecks. But because I knew a direction I wanted to head down around financial advisory, around financial education, I was better prepared and more equipped to make that transition. That being said, it is an extremely humbling process to one, see your paycheck get cut ten and tenfold, two, walk into a, a building, you know, having been the best in the world at something and sit in a cubicle and, you know, go to work with people who were eight years younger than you because my seven-year career, the person who was now 30 had been working for the last seven years at these companies. I was starting out just like I was coming out of college. Um, and so there is that humbling process. I, I jokingly say one of the biggest realizations and hurdles you got to get over is the idea that nobody's going to clap for you anymore. You know, we, we, you, you've lived your life on applause. You have, and, and on good jobs and on recognition and awards, those kind of get thrown away and you have to shift from this season climax lifestyle to a different approach and a different philosophy. And what I've shifted, one of my, my personal thoughts around winning to success and how winning is much more external and success is much more internal um, you have to adopt a new way of viewing your days, your months, your years. Uh, but yes, the, the transition as an identity, as an income, and just as a rest of your life is a huge, huge hurdle. And it's one, I think, as the modern day athlete evolves, we will be starting to discuss and be vulnerable about more and more going forward. Yeah, I can I can imagine you just miss the adrenaline rush of running out onto that field every single game. When you do nothing hit a, like it. When you do hit a big tackle, just completely taking that other guy out. I can I can imagine the rush you miss. But I imagine you get a different kind of rush from what you do now. And and that's where I needed to find what what was going to never replace but emulate that kind of passion. Um, so I was in New Orleans playing for the Saints the year Sean Payton got suspended. Uh, we don't need to get into why or if it was correct, but I remember very vividly the first team meeting he came back. He said, guys, do you know what I missed the most was my schedule because my schedule is defined by my purpose. My purpose each year is to win the Super Bowl. And I knew each and every day what I was supposed to be going to do and why I was going to do it. And I think that's what you need to find is in this new world, it doesn't come right away. It took me five years to find, but you need to find a new passion, a new life purpose that you can sit and, and wake up each morning and sit in this thought of, I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And it gives me a little energy. Am I ever going to feel the same rush? as you know 70,000 people screaming and us banging into each other no but standing in front of a room and delivering this this message i'm i'm extremely excited and proud to share and then having one person afterwards come up and say man this thing this one thing of the 45 minutes you talked really hit home and it's going to be something i take away that gives me uh somewhat of that same feeling awesome let's talk about your book then and, and some of the lessons that we can sort of like pull, mm -hmm. for, pull from it for the listeners so let's set a scenario 
I am a brand new graduate out of university, got my first job. I've got my first paycheck ever. I've never earned money before. Mm-hmm. What on earth do I do with my money? Where do I start? Where does my money vehicle get moving? I love it. So one, I go grab a copy of your money vehicle, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> so I look at it in buckets. I have never been a, let's get down to the dollar and dime um, or, or euro or whatever your measurement is of where my money is going, but I do like to categorize things. And so I hold up five choices every human being in the world needs to make around every dollar that they make. You begin with society. Now, whatever system, government, company, whatever you're sitting in, you have to pay into society. Taxes are real. Taxes are not a bad thing. Taxes happen because of good events. I made money or I bought something or I have a home. Those are good events around taxes. And truly, you look at a global crisis like we're going through right now, millions of people are being supported because we pay into society and taxes. And then I go into my next three buckets, which are my past, my present, and my future buckets. Now, I define past choices as anything due before the first of the month. And a challenge for your listeners would be very easily, you should be able to identify how much is that past choice bucket? How much am I spending on my rent, on my bills, on my debt? How much is reoccurring cost? No matter what I do on the the third or the 23rd of the month, these monies are already spent. I should be able to have a ballpark number. I know every first of the month, 25, 35, $10,000 are going out the door. And then we get into a present choice where it is those daily interactions. It is those decisions we make. That is a bucket that I shift towards the end of my cash management system, which we'll get to here in a second. Then the next bucket is going to be future choices. This is my savings and my investing. And the reality of why we called it your money vehicle is because in today's climate, economically and financially, if you don't care about that future you, Nobody else does. In the NFL, we always said, we play for this team on the side of our helmet, but we have to take care of that name on our backs because if we don't, nobody else is going to. And so I would look at it and say, that future choice is something I got to prioritize. And then we end with what I call the compassion bucket, which oddly enough, science is telling us is the happy bucket and where you will get the most fulfillment is when you take those dollars you've gone out and earned and you give them or put them towards a person, a place, or a cause that really identifies with you and will give you happiness and fulfillment, which is what money is designed to do. It is a vehicle. It is not the destination. So if you look at it from those five choices, I would categorize them and prioritize them this way. I just got my first paycheck. The first and priority for me is my future self. I'm going to make a dollar, save a dime. Made a dollar, saved a dime. So 10% of that paycheck is going to go to future me. I'm going to take a quarter based on you know, the average starting salary. I'm going to take about a quarter and put it towards society. I belong to society. I use public things. I drive on the roads. A quarter is going to go into there. Most of us, as we leave school, we have debts. We have a rent to pay. We have reoccurring bills. So 30% is going to go into that past choices bucket. And your, uh, your decision is going to be, which of these do I attack first? And we can talk about good debt and bad debt, but looking at it, credit cards, no doubt, 
Number one, get rid of all credit card debt. You cannot tell me a good scenario or reason to pay somebody 20% to borrow money. Then the fourth choice, and I don't get crazy here, you made a dollar, give me one penny for your thoughts. Give me 1% and give it to a person who has helped you, an institution who has supported you, or a cause you believe in. Put Start at that 1%, and you can go up, you can go higher, but if you start at 1%, you build a habit. And I'm a big believer of building habits to make repeatable success. And then that fifth and final bucket is those present choices. And what's beautiful about categorizing them and automating them, which is a beautiful gift from technology, is how to automate each of those four decisions. Then you look at your bank account and the dollars that land in there, you get to spend happily and guilt-free because those dollars are designed for your present day-to-day choices. And you get to prioritize and say, I want to do this more than that. What this system does is, and again, I, I hate drawing everything back to football, but it's easy for me to compute. We would go in each off season and there's a salary cap. There's a designated amount of money. Now, each player thought they deserved more money. And they looked at the salary cap guy or gal, the decider, and said, listen, open up the, the rainbow. Give me the pot of gold at the end. I know you always have more money. What the salary cap person would say each and every time is, okay, if you want more money, you got to take it from this person over there or that person over there. You can get more, but there's a finite amount that you got to pull from other people. Your money buckets is no different. You have the same five buckets. You, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, is the richest, wealthiest person on the planet. He has the same five choices. If you want to increase your present, if you want to increase that last bucket, you just have to understand you're stealing or borrowing from one of those other four choices. And it has that association with each and every bucket. So it, having that high-level percentage guideline Start to look at your life, start to look at where and how you want to prepare your plan, and then be able to strategize. And I don't use budget, I say cash management because, again, mindset, I'm in control of cash management. I feel like a budget is kind of limiting and controls me. And so that's where I would look at my first paycheck. I made a dollar, I saved a dime, a quarter goes to society, 30% is going to go to attacking past choices. Give me a penny for your thoughts. 1% goes to someone or something else. And then I get to spend the rest day to day. You've made an incredibly difficult and confusing topic sound very, very easy. I love, I love the explanation. Hey, thank that's you awesome. That. Well, thank you. That's good feedback. I know you mentioned good and bad debt as well. And I mean, I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, yep. I'm, I'm sure Great a lot book. of people have. It is. And if yep. you haven't read it, I completely recommend it. Um, so I, I actually criticize Rich Dad, Poor Dad now because they can take it. They will be fine. They've, they've yeah. helped, and myself, my first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So it's empowered millions, but I would like it to have more actionable takeaways. Yeah. And that's what Your Money Vehicle tried to do was, now that you know this, go do this. Mm. So I'd love to mention, uh, love to talk a little about, bit about that good debt, bad debt. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. people it's argued that everyone should buy a house. Like that's a great thing to have, but it's in some ways it's considered a bad debt because it's not making you any money per se. You're Mm -hmm. pumping money into it, but it's not giving you anything back. So just elaborate a bit more on good debt, bad debt and where not to get confused. So I always, as a wealth manager, we look at your plan 
And we somewhat agree with Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad on your home should not be an asset. It should not be a part of your strategy going forward. Why? Because you're always going to need a place to live. And yeah, there is downsizing later in life, but most people are always going to want a nicer home. So I don't want you to look at your home and say, hey, you know, unless your plan is, hey, in four, five years, we're getting out of this and we're trying to get into a bigger one. But then it is not an asset. It is just continuing to kick a bigger liability down the road. So I look at it in kind of four categories. You look at consumer, which is other people's money, but you're paying a hefty price for it. Never really a good debt. This is the bad debt side. This is credit cards, retail cards, kind of that side. That's an easy one for me. That's bad debt. Then you look at ones that are not going to appreciate. In fact, they're going to depreciate things like cars. That is not an asset that is going to ever return me money. So that would gear more towards the bad debt side. But then I do look at the other side of appreciation, things that are going to go up like a home. Well, if I put $100,000 into my home and in 10 years, there's $250,000 there, that was a wise investment. So where and how do we see that as good debt? And then the fourth and final category would be leverage and using other people's money to go and create more money. I borrowed $10,000 to start a business and now that business is going to return me more money. That I would see as good debt. Now, if you said, hey, well, what if I borrowed $10,000 because I needed a car to go to work? Well, now I don't see it as a depreciating asset. I see that as a investment into your business. So when you look at it in those four categories, and obviously we can go to much more detail into those four categories, then you look at what is the rate? What is the interest rate? Again, consumer debt, credit cards, 20 plus percent. That's ridiculous. Your investments should, are going to hopefully get six or 7%. So don't pay somebody three times your investment returns just to borrow their money. So once you look at rates, maybe your student loan is 5%. Well, that's not great, but that's also not terrible. You know, and arguably there are very few student loans out there at that interest rate. But if I look at it under 5%, I'm not rushing to pay that off. I know Dave Ramsey loves debt-free life, debt-free life. And I think that is a good theory to have in your mind is I want to get out of bad debt. But as I start to measure these debts, you have to be able to see the opportunity cost of every decision you're going to make. And when I look at the opportunity cost of, let's say, my home that is hopefully going to appreciate and also is at an interest rate under six, five, four, even right now, maybe that will be seen as good debt. So as I shift into this good debt, I understand it's something that is going to appreciate or leverage to go make me more money, or it is something that has a lower interest rate. So those are really straight, clear-cut criteria. Now, can we start to look at, do you get a tax advantage for this debt? Sure. But that's, don't ever let the tax tail wag the dog. You want to see specific reasons of why you're taking out this debt. And that's often where I begin conversations with individuals is, what do you see as the purpose for this? Is your mm. primary residence going to return you income this year? Absolutely not. So it is not a income asset. Now, is it a net worth asset? 
obviously. So that's where we kind of differ from the rich dad, poor dad mindset. But I look at categorizing them into those four buckets and then really measuring what is the rate, what is the reason, and then what is the tax opportunity or advantage of this specific debt. Uh, so typically, if you're just going to give it a high arching thought, it would be anything in the consumer side, get out of anything above 6%, start to focus on. But when you look at focusing on good debt and trying to pay down your 4% home mortgage, that's where we start to measure the opportunity cost of what else could those dollars be going to use for. And you look at this global crisis right now, there are a lot of people sitting on their homes that have been paid off, which is a tremendous goal. And if that's your sleep at night goal, by all means, follow it. I would argue as a wealth planner or, or, or as a strategist, could we have used those extra mortgage payments to perhaps build up an emergency fund or you, you know, go and invest those dollars elsewhere or begin to just have different outcomes other than just your home is paid off. Because right now, having a home without a mortgage means you're never going to be kicked out of that home. But what does the rest of your plan look like? That is where I struggle with just the one size fits all kind of rule. I think I think that's a really good way of putting it, especially when you're thinking about the actual purpose of it. I've never really thought of it that way, especially when most people would look at a car and think, well, that's just bad debt as in but when you really break down and you think of the purpose of it are you using that car to get you to work then no it's or you are then yes it can be seen as a good debt because it is returning you money in the fact that it's getting you to work to make money um whilst we're on the topic of the pandemic and the the crash and everything then isn't for new for these new earners and they're starting to think about investing their money is now a good time to get into the stock market and if so what are the initial steps like a new investor should take? So I would say this is a ideal time for a young professional to get into the market because they are not looking at it. An investor doesn't look at the market for day-to-day, quarter-to-quarter returns. They look at decade-to-decade. And if I'm 25, if I'm 18, if I'm 35, I have 60 years of investment returns ahead of me. And what I've just done in the last three months is travel back in time five years. The market has corrected itself and lowered back to prices that were available three, four years ago, um, three, four, five years ago. So how I look at approaching it is if I truly am looking at these dollars as investor dollars, money that is going to go to work for me over a long-term time period, eight, 10 plus years this is an ideal situation to get into the market. And how I would do that, everybody wants to look at, oh, wow, you know, this industry has gotten really shot. And so I think I'm going to get in there while it's low and it's going to rebound. People do not fully comprehend today what is going to happen on the short-term or long-term time horizon from this thing. Why I think it is a sound investment to get into the market is because you believe in our system. As a, as a global economy, we live in the capitalistic system. That means businesses are privately owned and they go to work to produce profit. Now, I don't know which one of those is going to produce the most or the best profit, but if I had a device that says, I'm just going to bet on the system, 
then I would bet on that. And that's where in chapters 6 and 10 of Your Money Vehicle, we start to talk about the difference between mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and Mm. index funds. And index funds are so powerful because where you can go buy one company as WX, or you can buy a mutual fund company that says, we're going to give you WX, Y, and Z. An index says, I'm going to give you the whole alphabet, A through Z. And you can own every publicly traded company in your country, in the world, with one selection. And that is not an investment without risk, but it definitely reduces the risk. And over a long-term horizon, all you're saying is, I believe our world economy or my country economy or that country's economy is going to rebound, recover, and grow through this time. So I look at it from a, what is happening right now? If I am young, I have dollars, I would use vehicles. We talk very specifically about Roth vehicles in your money vehicle. Um, And I would look at how can I push money into one of these tax advantaged accounts and then get into the market today, knowing that in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we're gonna be in a better place than we are today. Mm. And as someone that has recently started putting money in that area as well, um, especially when I first started, it's very discouraging looking at those red and green numbers going up and down. Oh, yeah. It's very volatile at the moment. What suggests But that's you perspective. Have- yeah. So when you see red today, you quote unquote lost money. Good news is you don't win or lose until you decide. So on the day that you see green and it's 20% or you see red and it's 20%, until you click sale, you haven't done anything. It's unrealized. So my challenge to you is to start to see Mr. Market as somebody who shows up every day. And when you see red, you should see a opportunity. Something that you had a value of 10, you can now buy at eight. That is an opportunity to an investor's mindset. Now, it is not something that you want to continually buy into red. But if you believe in the law of averages or the the idea of mean reversion, and economies, markets, companies will always over time revert back to what their average return is, and you're buying something below that, well, then you're just statistically putting the odds in your favor. And so I get it. The first rule of investing is emotions. That is a tough, tough hurdle to overcome. I actually call it do, re, mi from the sound of music. Do follow the golden rule, spend less than you make, Ray is the return equals the risk. That is a correlated relationship. And me, my emotions, Ben Graham said that was the chief investor's problem. So how you limit that emotion is by using systems like the index fund or ideas like dollar cost averaging where you look at each one of my paychecks, I'm now putting 10% into the market. And over time, I'm gonna buy in red days and I'm gonna buy on green days but it is going to average out to a good place that I'm ready to build my plan on. That's awesome, man. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. And it's great advice for me as well, for someone that is new into it. I'm just going forward. That is a great mindset to have. And I appreciate you breaking this all down for, because as I said, 50% of my listeners are between the ages of 18 and 25. So this is a great sort of introduction for those people on what to do with their money. Because I know 
from my first paycheck I, all i wanted to do was spend it when in reality that is the last thing i should really be doing obviously you want to enjoy your money because yeah you can't it's when you when you die it's not going with you but it's it's good to know it's good to know what to do with it yeah. um and that is so so looking at it that way controlling it you absolutely will enjoy it because there will be no it, it's not that there will be no no guilt but you will be empowered and you will be in control of your vehicle and so yes i i appreciate that why i left wealth management was because I think it's a very important job, but I'm not interested in helping the wealthy get wealthier. I'm interested in the masses, the 80% of people who want to better understand this. And I think this crisis is going to awake a lot of people up. And my hope is that my message will help one person at a time. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. And it's helped me. So there you go. Today's a win. (laughs) I love it. So that rounds up the bulk of today's episode. But I do love to finish every single episode with a final five, just five quick fire questions that I hope you have quick fire answers to. They're the same questions every episode because I love to get just different answers from every guest. So the first question is, who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Drew Brees. Uh, guy I got to play with in New Orleans and somebody I got to know intimately and he had a, a, a successful life in all aspects that I was allowed to observe. That's awesome. Next question. What is the best investment you've ever made? So this could be money, time, energy, or, or simply an Amazon purchase. Uh, so I would go with that engagement ring. Terrible decision, but the best investment, uh, yeah, 10 years plus, two little girls, why wise wise money used there couldn't ask for anything more no do you have a quote that you live by or think of often ralph waldo emerson each person is better than me in some way from that i'll learn from them awesome what advice would you give to your 20 year one 21 year old self i ask this selfishly because that is my age so anything you say if i can take it on board i will instantly take on board on board it's just a very selfish question on my part so uh, a concept I learned was the aggregation of marginal gains. Uh, in football, we called it the game of inches. And this is a concept that can be translated into any facet of your life. But just finding an inch a day in different areas, you know, in football, it was, hey, I'm going to run a little bit farther, lift a little bit more in the corporate world. Maybe it's one more call or one more hello to a colleague. Whatever that inch is, one of my favorite magical inches I love to share is a simple smile. You know, you meet somebody, you have a call, even if they can't see you, if you're smiling, you're scientifically telling your brain to be happier. And if they see it and they respond, your one smile just created more, that's magical. So stealing an inch a day is a a thought and a philosophy I really love. And I think if every 21-year-old in the world could not look at the big picture, but could just look at inches they would feel a little more encouragement. That's awesome. Final question of the episode. And it's a bit of a morbid way to end every show, but I do it (laughs) because I get, I get some interesting answers. And the question is, are you afraid of dying? Hmm. Great question. Um, yes, because I don't feel, uh, you know, this new purpose I found, I don't feel like I've achieved what this new mission I'm on. Uh, yes, because I have two little girls I want to see grow up. Um, but 
Yeah, no. So just yes. I, 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 you know, it's a very good question. That's one I have not pondered enough yet. Um, but yeah, I would be afraid of, of dialing because dying, because that is the only true way I think I fail is being removed from the game. And this, that's sort of why I asked this question as well, because no one really ever gets asked yet. No, we all that's a good one. It, we all know it's something that's eventually going to happen, but it's never, mm-hmm. never on our minds. Never, we never ask it. So I sort of ask it and it makes my guests sort of actually think it's not something that they've had to answer before. They're sort of like, whoa, we're taken aback by it. So yeah. thank you for answering because your people often go very personal when you did there. So thank you. That rounds up all of my questions and I can't thank you enough because you have answered them all beyond my expectations. You've been a great, great guest. So I'd love to hand it over to you and just so you can let the listeners know where they can find you, what you've got going on, just plug away. Yeah. So your money vehicle is available on that giant Amazon. Um, you can see me at social media, LinkedIn, Jedediah Collins, uh, Instagram and Twitter, Jed Collins 45. And truly what I have hopefully construed over this, this session is I love feedback. So reach out with questions, thoughts, feedback on the book, comments on some of the posts I've made. Um, but yeah, come find me, follow, and hopefully I'll put something that adds value to your day. Awesome. And for the listeners, they will be in the show notes below. So you don't have to worry about remembering all of those. <laughs> scroll down and Smart. click. But yeah. Jed, once again, Thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. Appreciate it, brother. Enjoy the day. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five-star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.